Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Good morning again, and uh, this morning, if you will, start opening your Bibles up to Isaiah. We're going to go to Isaiah 50. Uh, sorry, 65, uh, and that is going to be found on your pew, in your pew Bibles on page 584. We're going to go there in just a moment and start reading. We're coming down to the landing place. The landing place for for Isaiah will have this one, and then thanks to that snowstorm a couple weeks ago, we'll have one more in the new year. But uh, we'll get done here, and, and we've been on this long journey. Uh, but this this journey creates an anticipation. This book of Isaiah is something that the the New Testament writers, after Jesus, they keep going back to, and they keep referring to, and they keep speaking that what what Isaiah was longing for and wanting and speaking forward, he brought, it came in Christ, this one who came at Christmas. And so this morning, we go back in, and, and while we're looking at this passage, it has great meaning for us today, and it, it even though it doesn't speak to Christmas message the way we would think, I think there's still stuff for us to think about here in terms of what we're celebrating this Christmas. So before I go any further, let me just pray to our Lord and and ask Him to speak for us to be able to listen and for Him to be glorified as this time goes on. So let's pray with Him. Father God, we thank You this morning. I thank You that You reveal Yourself in Isaiah 50, 65, and th- there's kind of a theme here that, I, that I'm seeing in, in some of the things that have been said even this morning. We, we have this great joy for Christmas and, and excitement for the season, and, and we have uh, just all the, the pomp and circumstance of the season, but yet, in little ways, we've heard this through what Bob has said and, and even Caitlin's poem, there's also this tension that, that things maybe aren't as we would wish them to be. Our Christ followers, we know that there are hardships of the season, things we long for and we just that just aren't there. We hear that.
that in the world around us as songs are being sung, uh, I think more comically uh, of the kid who, who we know sings, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, so I can wish you a Merry Christmas. I can't really say that correctly. But, but his longing is, I want to say Merry Christmas to you, but I don't have these teeth. There's something wrong. We go more serious to hear the song, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. The idea of someone being distant from those they love and, and the world not being what they wish it would be at Christmas time. Or I think probably more of a global scale, we hear that 1971 song from John Lennon, Lennon Happy Christmas, where he wishes in the midst of, of, of war and chaos and, and troubles, wishes that the new year would be a year filled without fears. There's a disconnect that, that says we're celebrating all these things at Christmas time, and yet there's things in our life and in our world that just aren't right. They aren't the way we wish. They aren't the way that, that meets with our, our heart's longing and desire for what we wish it would be. We wish no more wars, no more fear, no more pain, no more death, all those things. And what we're wishing for in this Christmas time really is what some might describe as heaven, where there's no more pain, no more hurts. And that's what we long for is heaven, what we were created for, what we long for, what God made us for. Even last week, we, we saw Isaiah in Isaiah 62 or 63 and 64. He was asking for what? Oh, Lord, that you would come and be here with us so that know that the problems would go away if you were here, Lord. Oh, that you would come, Lord, was our message last week. And this week, we're going to see that world that our heart desires. God is going to start to bring forward what he is doing and how that's going to come about in Isaiah 65 as he's starting to wrap up this vision to Isaiah. So this morning's message is a world our heart desires. And there we can read in 65, God's response to Isaiah's prayer you're going to see this picture of something that God is creating towards the end of the chapter, but you kind of got to go through a journey to get there. So I want to read the whole of 65, and I ask you, if you, you have your pew Bible, if you have a Bible, follow with me. I'd encourage you to follow along if there's something that sticks out or you need notes, maybe underline it. Think on it. If I don't hit on it here, maybe you can ask me, uh, have a thought, and we can have a conversation later. But there's a lot here to unpack and we'll get into it as we go along. So would you read with me as we read from Isaiah 64? God responds to Isaiah's prayer by saying this, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all day, all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good. Following their own devices, the people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on brick, uh, who sit in tombs and spread the spend the night in secret places, who eat pig feet flesh and, and broth as of caked meat as in their vessels, who keep saying, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into the lap, both your iniquity and your father's iniquity together, says the Lord. Because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills, I will measure into their laps 
Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it, so I will do for my servants' sake, and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob, and from Judah, possessors of my mountain. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks in a valley of Achor, a place for herd to lie down for my people who have sought me. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set up a table of fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destiny you with the sword. And all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in the eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. My servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servant shall sing for gladness, but you shall cry out for pain of heart. And shall wail for the breaking of the spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse. God has spoken, put you to death. And the servants were called by another name, so that he blesses himself in the land, shall bless himself by the God of peace. And he shall take an oath in the land, shall swear by the God of peace, because the former troubles are forgotten, and are hidden from my eyes. For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what, that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For a young man shall die a hundred years old, and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. For my chosen shall long, shall enjoy, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bear children for calamity. For they shall be an offspring of the blessing of the Lord, and their descendants with them. Before they can call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox with the ox. And the dust shall be like the smooth serpent's feet. They shall not hurt any human in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. God's word for us today. We thank you this morning, if you caught what's happening there at the end, it, it really is a promise of something great. It's a promise of, of that world that we desire, but we know that it's not what we experience now, what we hope for, what we long for, but it's not there yet. This morning, what we are getting is God's response again to Isaiah's prayer. Isaiah was praying, come Lord, come Be with us. And God is speaking right from the get-go. He's saying, I want to come. I desire to come. I'm eager to come. And he even looks in verse 1 as if he's saying, I've been here the whole time. 
I created this world and I haven't walked away. I'm with it. I'm here and I never have left. You may not see me, but I'm still around. We see that when he starts to speak of the patience and the justice in the early part of his time. Verses 1 through 7. Look at verse 1 with me. He says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to the nation that did not call my name. I spread up my hands all day to the rebellious people. God is right away answering Isaiah's prayer and saying, I have been ready this whole time to come to you. I have been ready and waiting, and anyone who would call on me, I would reach out to them. He says, I've been shouting from from the top of my lungs and declaring, I'm right here, the creator of this whole world. I'm right here. I'm right here. And we know that from the Psalms and from other places that it speaks, that that the heavens declare God's glory and, 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 and God speaks through creation to all peoples. He's shouting loudly. He's had his arms reached out, he says. Last week, saw Isaiah say, Father. He, he said, we know you're a father. And, and here he's like a father saying, I am here with my arms reached out to welcome you back and wrap you up. I've been here the whole time. He's responding that way. And what he's doing here is declaring just how patient, how much grace he has for us with this whole time of people who have been rebellious by saying, I've been with you all along. If only Listen, we could take a side note or a, kind of a, a side trail here to just comment and, and to press in a little bit to what some people, uh, maybe some of you here, but definitely out in our world out there, some people will say, well, I like the God of the New Testament because he's more loving and more gracious and kind. And I don't know if I like the God of the Old Testament. He sounds really angry. And whenever he gets upset, he just kind of goes and wipes people out. Let me just say here that in Isaiah 65, we actually have a different message. We actually have that this God who we have in the Old Testament is ultimately so loving and patient. He's walked with his people. He's been patient with them. He's been open in his arms with them. And he's been loving the whole time. The idea of God just being this angry God in the old and then suddenly he becomes new in the loving in the new is backwards. It's actually in the Old Testament that we find him being caring, loving, patient. And it's in the New Testament that we start to hear God say, repent now, turn from your sins now or else. This idea is important for us to grasp that God is patient. He's open, he's longing, he's calling you, me, to him. They don't seek. They don't listen. They don't desire. They don't want to reach out. They're rebellious, he says. And before we start to think that, oh, this is Israel's problem, it's interesting to note that Paul, and this is in your reading for this week, Paul actually quotes this passage in Romans chapter 10. He says that this isn't just Israel's problem. This is all the Gentiles' problem as well. He's saying that in Romans 10, no one seeks you. Israel, Gentiles, all the world. So we need to apply that and say that for us, for us as people even today, on our own, on our own accord, when God calls out, we don't listen, 
naturally. We don't follow. We desire because we are broken by our sin. We are messed up by our, the wrong desires of our heart. We go and wander our own way. Language from Isaiah. This applies to us. He was ready for us, but we did not seek him. We're saying, here I am, but oftentimes we don't follow after him. Instead, verse 2, he, he, he says, I've spread out my hands, but they've walked and, and tried to follow their own devices, or other translations say they've trusted in their own thoughts, their own plans, as they've gone through life and they're trying to figure out things. They're, they're wanting to go after their own desires and they think they can figure out this world on their own without me, the God who created it. This idea of trying to go our own way, this is a problem then and it's a problem now. I, I said earlier about all the brokenness, all the pains, all the hurts in our world, all, all the problems, and, and we can see them in the newspaper, we see them in front of the TV. Both globally, we see things of, uh, of what do we do with, with, with different countries that are, are, are problematic? What do we do with, with hunger? What do we do with all these refugees? And, and we, we sit there and we turn on and we hear the, the, the Democrats will say, well, we got the answers, trust in us. And meanwhile, the Republicans will say, we, we have the answers, trust in us. And, and it's so easy for us to go to those corners and trust in those ways rather than trusting in what God would say. It's easy for us to trust in our own devices, our own ways, and not trust and turn to the Lord and ask the Lord to work. On a more individual level, we have issues in our lives and we try to correct them. I think of in a few weeks we'll hit New Year's and some of us will have New Year's resolutions, right? For whatever problem that we're dealing with. And we'll try to create a device or, or something that will try to carry us us and give us hope and life and we'll try to do it on our own way. But the reality is, is when we trust in our own thoughts or our own ways to solve our problems, we get lost and distance ourselves from God. Really, we're idol worshippers going after something that the world has to offer that isn't of God. That's what it says in verse 3. These people, they, they provoke me to my face constantly. They're sacrificing in gardens and making offerings in other places besides where they should be in front of God. We have to be cautious in how do we go about our lives and how do we, where do we look for hope and life and solving our problems? Is it in uh, ways of man or is it in going for the Father and walking with Him? Verse 5, it even speaks. God says that what this people's reaction is, they, they say God speaks, that, that they keep on saying, keep to yourself. Do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. That's a statement that has a little bit of ambiguity to it. Ambiguity to it. It doesn't really, we don't really know who is, has, uh, who they are saying that to, but they're saying, I'm really good stuff. I'm holy. I'm purified. I'm really good. And, and don't come near me because I don't want to be defiled in my holiness. It's as if the people are saying, I am great and I've done the work to clean myself up and, and that, that I am good and righteous. But the problem is, is, is whether they are saying that to their neighbors or what we kind of get the sense is, it's as if they're saying it to God. I've cleaned myself up, God. Don't come near to me. Don't come near. I'm too holy. I don't want you to mess up what I've achieved and what I've done. This is a funny 
said. Because it should be that God is holy. We have defiled ourselves and we can't come near to Him, but yet pridefully sometimes I think we believe that we are holy. God, man, we're good stuff. says that we are in a sense there is stench there is no there's And Christ bore that while he's deeply patient while he's loving while he's showing grace while he's been the full time for hundreds and even thousands of years to this people he's saying I have had my arms wide open to you he says eventually I will have compassion towards you and prolong your life verse 6 There is a, a, a payment, there is a punishment, there is a wage earned for the wrongdoing of our sins. You know, he doesn't want to just speak of their father's sins before. He speaks of your sins as well, verse 7. So for us, it's not just our neighbor's sins, but it's our wrongdoing that needs payment for our deeds. And, and, and in it, as we are moving towards this world, towards this heaven, this new creation that God is creating, what we start to see here is that these people, and and we should include ourselves, they can't cut it. They can't get in on their own doing. Their defilements, their wrongdoings have, have disqualified them from approaching God and being with Him as Isaiah had prayed for. And as we're thinking about His patience and His justice that will be poured out, we need to ask the question, trying to do it your own way in this life? Are you trusting in your own devices? And the question is, how long will you ignore this patient God? How long will you continue to not listen to these things that I want to do? The passage continues on, verse 8 through 16. It speaks that while none can come before the Father, while none can approach Him, this idea that while God is patient eventually he's saying but ultimately I can't let you in for my new creation he says this he wants to offer something a blessing a grace to us verse 8 for thus says the Lord as the new wine is found in the cluster and they say do not destroy for there is a blessing in it so I will do for my servants saved in terms of being soured and and, and being uh, too new to make anything good of. That they should maybe just be tossed out. But he's saying, no, 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 there's there's something good. I have preserved within this people something good that will bring a blessing, something that will bring uh, a hope for my people, for the world. He would have been okay with that. He wouldn't have been wrong for doing that. He 
he says, for my servants, now he's going to ask, who are his servants? Who in Isaiah is he referring to? He's pointing all the way back, I believe, to Abraham and others, but mostly Abraham, who was the one in Genesis 12 when he said, Abraham, I am choosing you for my glory to bring out a blessing from you, from your line, from your lineage, and offspring will come and will bless the world. He's reflecting all the way back, and he's remembering his covenant. He's remembering his promise. He's remembering what he's made and said, I'm going to do this. He says, an offspring will come. that offspring, or that is singular. It's not many. It's one. I will bring one who will be from Jacob. I will bring one out of this batch who will be good, who will seek me, who will hold tightly to me, a blessing for the world. And that one is the one that we look to as the true Savior. Jesus, the one who came, the one who came out of this people, a broken people, Israel, who didn't seek God, who didn't call out to Him, and, and, and would go their own ways. But yet God brought that one, that child, who ultimately wouldn't be like Israel and, and do all these things that we saw, all the rebellious things, all, all the things of not hearing God and trusting God. No, Jesus laid aside His Godship, and He held to God, He listened to Him, He followed Him, He depended on Him, He trusted in Him, and He didn't go and trust in His own devices. that one that we celebrate this time of year when things get quiet and sad. The offspring that will bring blessing. He speaks of this blessing that will come to those who are found in Him, who trust in Him, who follow and, and, and grab hold and, and by faith like Abraham did, trust in God and what He was up to. But then there's a but. Set a table of fortune and fill cups that of mixed of mixed wine for judgment. I will desecrate this sword and I shall bow down to slaughter. And this idea is that there's a contrast, a, a, a divergence that says that there is one who will come and will find blessing in those who put their faith in Him. They will find blessing also, but those who don't, destruction. This is a warning passage. God is speaking of what He's going to bring, but there's a warning to say, if you want the heaven, if you want the, the comfort, the eternity that I want for you, you need to put your trust and faith everywhere, everywhere in my blessing. You cannot forsake me, Jesus. What does forsaking mean? It, it, he speaks of fortune and destiny, verse 11, that you set the table for those, and those ideas are rooted in other pagan gods gods that they, people would go to to try to get something from God. He says, if you are coming to God, if you are coming to try to follow Him so that you can get something rather than just loving and adoring Him and having faith that He is the thing that we need. If you are trying to come to God to kind of hedge your bets and get the best out of life, then you're going to miss Him. You're 
forsaken you. You are not delighting in what I delight in. Verse 3. He goes on from there to say that there will be those who are servants of me, who worship me, who don't need anything from me because they know that I, Creator God, I am all you need. He speaks of them as, as servants, moving down through 13 and 14, versus those who forsake and don't want to serve, don't want to follow, don't want to worship. He, he clarifies the extent of the separation, that, that it will be for those who serve Him, they will be happy, they will eat, they will drink, they will rejoice, they will sing. But for those who don't, hungry, thirsty, shall die. And He uses to separate them out and say there are two worlds. Either you put your trust in Christ, and I know many of us have heard this, but we need to be reminded again of how great it is that those who put their hope and trust in Christ, that those that we will have everything we need in the end. For those who don't, we'll be left with nothing. He goes on from there to speak, really, that, that this is a choice to make, that, that you will have to choose and choose to call in Him. this choice at a macro level, at a big level, ultimately is for eternal life. Getting into heaven, getting to be with the Father uh, for all time and eternity. That the, our faith in Him and trusting in Him brings us that life that frees us from death. But I think on a micro level, at a, at a, at a lesser level, on a daily level, in our life as we're walking through, we have to ask, when I'm experiencing when I'm experiencing death, when I'm experiencing emotional uh, difficulty, is it because I'm trusting in my own ways? I, I'm not trusting in the blessing that would come. I'm not trusting that God is enough for me. I'm not trusting in Him for my life and what I need today. I, I think daily we have to ask ourselves that. saying that even if I don't have everything today, I know that what I need He will give me tomorrow. This passage moves on ultimately to speak of what is to come. A promise. Something of joy. Something that we can trust in. God is creating something new. He says, verse 17, let me get excited about this passage. For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. God is saying, I am creating, I will create. And he puts his name on the line to say, I'm promising you something great that's still ahead. He's saying, I will do this. I'm going to recreate. The imagery that we start to get here is that he's going to bring things back. He's going to recreate things to be like it was in, the, in, in Genesis 1. Heaven, earth, created sin, God's dwelling, and making some peace about it. The renewing of Eden, where he 
was with God and, and, and God or man was with him. And, and it was this relationship that we desire that Isaiah has been asking for. Some might call this heaven. But I would say that it's probably going to look a lot more, this new heaven, new earth that he's going to create, it's going to look a lot more like the world around us. Except for much better. It's going to look like that earth or that world that we desire, that 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 hope that we we long for this Christmas time, where where that we won't be lonely, where we won't have tears, where where there won't be sadness, and we will have great joy. Why? Most of all, because God is with us. John picks up on this imagery in in Revelation, right? He picks up on the same the same tune being said here at the end of his book he's thinking of the second coming and he says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God preparing, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And it goes on from there. This imagery that John has is what Isaiah is seeing also. He's saying that there is a time coming where something is going to come to us, a city, a place where God will dwell with us, and we won't have the pain, we won't have the suffering. We have to ask ourselves, who are these people he's talking to? Who are these people that as they look around the world in front of them, as they're promised this new heaven, new earth, as they're promised to take joy in it, or asked to take joy in it, we realize that these are people who have had, seen their city destroyed, they have seen other other armies come in and invade and, and take and, and break them. And God is saying, trust in what I'm up to. Trust in what I'm up to. Trust that I know your what you need and find joy in it. The one command that we are called to in all this chapter and all of God's saying is, be glad and rejoice forever and be glad, or Sorry, be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. And what I am doing, rejoice in it, trust in it, know what's coming to you, is to put your trust in that blessing, that offspring that's coming. We can have joy. Again, what he goes on to speak here of pride, verse 19, that there's no more hurt that in verse 20 we see full life, that that in 20 and 21 we see a permanent dwelling forever going on. And even what some of us don't like sometimes, we're going to enjoy our work of God someday. But most importantly, what he says in verse 19 is that this is a city that he's going to enjoy someday. What we're hoping for, what he's saying is coming at this time where he will be the Christmas season, and we, we know that there are things that, that we have expectations for life, we 
look around and, and, and we are, are tempted to trust in our own devices. We are t- tempted to trust in our own ways. But instead, God says, I just want to meet you where you are in this wilderness. So trust that I am coming. Trust that I will come and I will bring you just what you need. So like the disciples in the book of Acts, they, they kind of sit there and ask Jesus after he's risen, right? They ask, is now the time when your kingdom will come? Is now the time when your new creation will come? And, and Jesus says, no, you must be my witnesses first. And he speaks that language. You will go out from here from Jerusalem, Judea, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You will speak me to the world, and then will come the end. God is eager to come, but he's first eager for his for this, what he's doing in his so while we wait for the final, the eternity, the new city coming, we also know that even now we have a role to play in this, in its coming. To bear witness to this, to speak our joy, our happiness to the world until he comes. As we leave this liquid, and I, I want to close out with this passage, we long for the new creation. We long for the new heavens and new earth. We long for when all our problems will disappear, right? We put our hope in that. These blessings that we're longing for now. But Paul in 2 Corinthians, let's turn there this morning, 2 Corinthians 5, in the midst of him speaking of, uh, of our heavenly dwelling, the place where we long for, uh, we, we sometimes get into this rut of saying, like, I, I don't, heaven isn't yet. I, I'm longing for it, but, but Lord, where is it? And Paul in 2 Corinthians says this, verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him as thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I want to suggest here is that while we long for the new creation, we long for the heavens, we long for the new earth for us to be a part of, what Paul is saying here is even now there is something in us that is now newly created. It is now experiencing that creation in us. And we are to live that out. We are already experiencing as we trust and hold to God in something Something that we can rejoice in that God is already working in us, redeeming us, refreshing us, turning us from our idols, from our trust in our own ways, to listen to the Spirit that says, we're trusting in Him. I believe we're going to close out with a song that summarizes great joy. I, I hope that this Christmas season, that, that while we long for His first coming, we, we also long for His second coming. We long for the time when we will come. But again, we're reminded that because he came, we're already experiencing this again. We're already experiencing what we desire. And as we trust him now, we joyfully look forward to that. And we trust in what Isaiah longed for last week and what God has said, I, I have my arms wide open for you. And because of Jesus, now as he speaks and he draws us to the Father, he draws us into God and says, I'm joyful. 
sing this morning and the worship team as we go out from here from Smith in your mercy that you promised that even for Israel that you are going to bring something an offspring out of it one that we celebrate as a child a baby that would come that would create a way for us to enter into the world that we long for the world that we desire the world that is mine Thank you.